0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Abscond with Ethan Renault. I am Ethan Renault, and this week's podcast is um, a message I gave at Waterstone Community Church's youth group a couple days ago. And the message is on idolatry, and the quality isn't awesome only because it was recorded on my phone at the back of the room, just picking up the speakers audio. So um, it's definitely. Uh, understandable. I think it's a message that's worth listening to. I think we can all learn a bit from it about idolatry. Um, I also just wanted to let you know, since I have not released a podcast in a while, in case you've missed it, my new book, Bad Timing, Bittersweet Love Stories and What I Learned From Them, is available now on Amazon. And I'm stoked to let you know too that it was, for about a week, number one bestseller in the dating and relationships category. So, a lot of people are giving it great feedback. Um, I'm really happy about it. I honestly think it's the best book I've written out of all seven of them. Um, I also have another book coming out in two weeks, which is a collection of short, creepy, weird, eerie stories. So, if you're into that type of stuff, keep your eyes open for that, too. That one's called If You Could Haunt Your House Forever. So, um, go check out Bad Timing, available now. Or, If You Could Haunt Your House Forever, available October 29th. So... Here is the sermon on idolatry from Waterstone Community Church. Thanks for listening, guys. All right, you guys, let's take a seat. Let's give it up for our worship team. They're so freaking good. I love it. You guys know that I was a youth pastor before this, and our worship every week that we got was literally just me playing music from uh, iTunes or whatever. So you guys, we're really blessed to have quality the quality worship team here um, so as anyone remember which is this stage set up anyway um, who remembers what the name of the series is that we're doing for the month of October anyone remember? Hey nice swimming upstream we're talking about going against the flow of the culture. And because elliot is gone and I am your master now, I have decided that the new logo slash mascot for uh, this series is going to be this guy I met in Chicago. And he was like clearly in a gang of some kind. Yeah, that's him. And I asked him if I could take a picture of his t-shirt. And it says, when haters talk crap, you know you're doing something right. Everybody say that together. When haters talk crap. You know you're doing something right. Yes. Why would that be our motto? Because for the Christian, the reason I took a picture of his t-shirt, he looked like he was literally about to pull out a knife and stab me or something when I took it. So I just like walked away really fast. But because as Christians, our lives should not look the same as everyone else in our culture, right? Uh, If our culture is kind of going this way, and they're like, hey, we need to be like this, and this is cool, and this is what everyone in the culture is doing, Christians usually are going the opposite direction. That's kind of how it's been for 2,000 years. So I figured this is kind of fitting for a Christian motto, right? Even though he originally had a swear word in it, in case you couldn't tell. But, (laughs) I think I shouldn't have pointed that out. But anyway, I was like, if Christians are just going along with what everyone else is doing and the way that they're living... Something's wrong with our Christianity, right? So for us, for this series, we're talking about swimming upstream. And so tonight's message is about idolatry. And I was thinking, what's the best way that I can communicate what is idolatry? And I was reminded of this story. Um, do any of you remember the story I told probably a couple years ago about my best friend Dave, who woke up from being unconscious and found a pair of, like butter in his shorts? remember that story? <laughs> if you haven't heard it, it's a quality story. Um, so on that same trip, um, there was another crazy story that happened. Maybe not quite as crazy as that, but um, me and Dave and the girls we were with, we had r- road tripped out to California, and we're like in the water, just kind of like body surfing, and enjoying the waves, just like, you know, being in the ocean, like you do when you go to the beach. And so we're just kind of floating along. And suddenly, one of the girls we're with was like, ow, something just bit me in the foot. Um, Or for her, I think it was like between her toes. Something bit her between the toes. And and we're like, oh, dang, you know, we assume like, oh, it's a crab. Must have just pinched her or something. She's like, ow, it really stinks. And I was like, oh, everyone's been pinched by a crab. It's not that big a deal. And so we're just hanging out in the water, like shoving each other in or whatever. And then a couple minutes later, I get bit in the heel, um, in my foot, and I'm like, oh, that really hurts, and I was like, whatever, it's just a crab bite, it's not a big deal, and, um, a couple minutes later, I'm like, ow, it actually, like, hurts more now, and a couple minutes later, I was like, it's getting worse, and so me and the girl were both like, yeah, whatever bit us really, really hurts, and so we kind of, like, at that point, we, like, limp out of the ocean, and we're just sitting in the sand, and, um, (laughs) <laughs> I told my best friend, Dave, we're like, Dave, I think you need to go get the lifeguard. We may have been stung by a stingray or something really bad. We might have, like, serious venom in us. And um, we need you to run and get the lifeguard. And the lifeguard stand was, like, way down the beach, like, hundreds and hundreds of yards down the beach. And for whatever reason, Dave decides to take um, my fancy camera, because he had never used one before. He's like, I'm going to take this. We're like, why are you going to take a fancy camera to go get a lifeguard while we're on the beach Dying. And um, <laughs> he's like, we just see him kind of like jog off. And then we're watching him run down the beach and he's like, oh, a seagull. And he like gets down and like starts taking pictures of the seagull. And we're like, Dave, get the lifeguard. Our feet hurt. And he just keeps jogging and he's like, oh, a shell. And he like picks it up and he's like looking at a shell. And we're like, Dave, why are you not getting the lifeguard? Our legs are falling off. And um, he just keeps jogging down and he's like, get distracted by everything. He, like, stops to more pictures. He's like, you know, and we're like, Dave, you have one job which should be the most important job right now. Your friend's feet are in pain and you need to go get the lifeguard and bring the lifeguard back so he can put the anti-venom in us. Eventually, it's like a SpongeBob episode, like 12 hours later. Dave finally comes back. The lifeguard, like, drives over in his truck across the sand. And the lifeguard's just basically like, yeah, you guys got stung by stingrays no big deal it'll just really hurt for like four hours <laughs> it did it was like the worst pain of my life have any of you been stung by a stingray not a jellyfish a stingray remember just chloe just you yeah well didn't that hurt a lot <laughs> yeah like literally what you have to do is hold it in boiling water or as hot as you can handle it and that like like soothes the venom and so i'm literally holding my foot in like boiling water Then I took it out. It would hurt so bad. Like, I could barely breathe. I was like, (sighs) because the venom is just, like, so painful. And then my heel literally hurt for a whole year. Um, Who knows what would have happened if Dave went straight to get the lifeguard right away? I don't know. Um, But anyway, that's kind of, I was thinking about it. I was like, that's kind of what idolatry is for us, right? We have, like, the big thing that we were created for. The big um, person that we need to focus on. But we're always getting distracted by things that are far less important, far less valuable, and will last not nearly as long as the big thing we're supposed to focus on, right? That's basically what idolatry is. Do we want to be Dave, like, stopping, looking at everything else, like, oh, football. Oh, a girlfriend. Oh, whatever it is that distracts us from God. So definition... What is idolatry? Idolatry is loving anything more than we love God. At its core, idolatry is about our hearts, right? Do you have that one? I think I had that. Maybe I didn't. Idolatry is all about our hearts. What do we love the most? What is our priority? Um, We might hear the word idol and we might think like, oh, that was just like, ancient history, like, we don't have idols, we're not like ancient people sitting in a tent, like, bowing down before a little wooden statue, like, that's like an ancient word. And so that's why, for some some context, I prefer to use the word gods, like, what are our gods? What are the gods of my heart? Because lowercase g, the gods of my heart are not always God, capital G, Right? And each one of us is going to have gods, we're going to have idols in our hearts, and they're going to be different than everyone else's. And I'm sure that as I'm saying this, some things are popping into your mind of like, ooh, I feel like this is something I might love more than God. This is something that I turn to for comfort. I turn to it for satisfaction, because I feel like this thing, once I get this, then I'll be really happy. Then I'll feel really satisfied. When in reality, we have everything we need to. Satisfied right now, but we often ignore it in favor of something else. We get distracted by the smaller things, thinking, When I get a boyfriend, then I'll finally be happy. When I get a girlfriend, I'll finally be happy. Um, If I get good grades, then I'll be happy. And if I don't get good grades, then I'm just a stupid idiot and I'll never amount to anything. Those are the type of things that become idols in our lives. And I, I was listening to another sermon on idols that we this acronym that I really like to help us kind of categorize the different types of idols that we have. Um, so, as you can see, it spells idols down the side. Um, the I stands for items. And this is like stuff. Like, a lot of us, um, for me, this summer I bought a Mustang. And I got so pumped about it. Some of you have ridden in it. And you know it's the coolest car on earth, right? convertible Mustang, and I was like so pumped about it, and I was like, yes! I have a cool car, now I'm finally someone. Girls will want to date me. Finally. And, um... And, um... I got so pumped about it, and then after like a week or two, I kind of caught myself, and I was like, wait, do I love this car too much? Like, it's one thing to be stoked about something that's really awesome, there's legitimate like, excitement there, but then there's another thing that's like, this is now my life. I am the guy with the Mustang, right? And it's like that can like overtake your entire life. So items is the eye. What is it that you own? Like these are tangible things that we um, love and adore. Um, and for us, um, if you're in high school, even if you can't drive, most of us have these little boxes in our pockets that we can't take our eyes off of for seven hours a day, right? I actually read the statistics Sorry, Luke, I'm jumping all over. Um, The statistic is that teens spend an average of 7 hours and 22 minutes on their phones per day. Hopefully you guys aren't that high. Hopefully you're not average um, in this sense. But um, even if it's a couple hours, that's a lot of time per day to be spending looking at something this big, right? Like, I bet if like an ancient Israelite could come to us and look at us, they'd be like, how can you spend so much time? looking at that tiny box the same way we would be like, why are you spending so much time looking at this little wooden statue, right? Um, it's like a crazy amount of time that we spend looking at our phones, or TVs, or laptops, or screens of any kind, I think, are clearly the American Idol, no pun intended. But like, that's what we like devote our lives to, is entertainment. <laughs> Wasn't that funny? <laughs> Jeez. Um, So anyway, um, items. Uh, The D in idols is duties. Um, This this applies to you guys because, like I said, like grades for some of us can be an idol. Um, When you get older, a lot of times your job will become your idol. And it's like if you don't have a good job and if you're not constantly moving up higher in your job, and that starts now. Like if you're not getting better grades than everyone else, this definitely did not apply to me might apply to some of you. If you're not getting better grades than everyone else, then you're worthless. And no one's ever going to love you. And you're stupid, and your life will be a failure. If that's kind of your mentality, then maybe these duties are really the idols of your heart. Those are the things that you think this will make my life worth it. This will satisfy me if I get A's, B's. Uh, I mean, A's. Let's be honest. Um, So duties. Oh, uh, this one's interesting. Others. Like I said, boyfriends or girlfriends can be a major idol. Um, and I forgot to point out, too, that often, idols aren't just bad things. Like, we talk about social media, and we're like, oh, yeah, it's a waste of time, whatever. Um, but, like, is having a boyfriend a bad thing if you're a girl? No. Is, ha- <laughs> is having a girlfriend a bad thing if you're a guy? No, it's not a bad thing. But if they are like all you think about, then you're ultimately going to be let down. Um, Just because no single person on earth can satisfy you entirely. And if you look to them to satisfy you, you will put too much pressure on them. You will be disappointed. And I would bet you're both going to end up hurt in the long run. So we can't make other people our idols. And included in this one... The pastor also included ourselves. Because I can definitely admit that there are so many times in my life where I idolize myself. Like, ooh, I look good. Ooh, I'm in this public situation, people are looking at me. I look so good. Right? We idolize ourselves. We're always thinking about ourselves because idolatry is the root of nearly every other sin. Um we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, idolatry is a source of pride. If we idolize ourselves, that's called pride. Um So L, forget what L is, longings. Um, This is kind of a catch-all. Like anything else that you could possibly think of, um, for me, one that I thought of for myself is like traveling. Like I love to travel, and there are so many times in my life that I'm like, if I don't get to go to this country and travel and have cool pictures from around the world, um, then like this year has been a waste, and nothing happened this year, right? Um, Whatever it is that your longing is, whatever else that hasn't been covered already, that can be your idol as well. And the last one is probably the most interesting or unique, um, but hear me out. The S stands for suffering. Because it might sound funny, but a lot of times, people can idolize their suffering. And if you've ever hung out with someone who has suffered a lot, they might begin to identify as um, yeah, like, my life is just so hard, like, um, like, you can probably think of people like this, but some of us might be this person who we're just constantly talking about how hard our life is. Like, hey, how are you doing, man? It's like, oh, I'm struggling, but I'm okay. I'm pushing through. And like, for some for some reason, that struggle, like that pain or whatever you're going through, becomes your idol. And it becomes how you identify yourself. Right? And for some reason... Um, This is part of human nature. We, like, take our suffering and we think it makes us look good or strong or for some reason we do this. That's not to say the suffering, like, you should never talk about it and it's bad. But if your identity is like, I have such a hard life, you're you're like, like, one of my favorite comedians, he's always like, oh, my life is so hard. Oh, oh, he always does that. Um, Like, because that's kind of how people are. Like, they want the sympathy. Like we can idolize our sufferings, as strange as it sounds. And there's probably other things that don't fit in this list, but we can literally make an idol out of anything. And half the things we idolize aren't even bad. The issue is when we put them above God in our hearts. The place that God is that God alone is supposed to occupy. When we put anything else there, it's gonna let us down. Even if it seems like a good thing. So the question is. Sorry. Um, Yeah. Why is idolatry so bad? Why does God hate idolatry so much? Um, I looked it up. The word idol is used 137 times in the Bible. I feel like that's a lot of times to use one word in the Bible. Um, The word idol is used 137 times. Why do you think God is so adamant that his people don't worship idols? That they're not in love with other gods or other things or of people that, should only, um, that only God should occupy, right? Why is God so adamant about this? And one, one analogy that God uses all throughout the Bible is the analogy of marriage. Okay, so everyone knows Elliot, right? We have any new people who don't know Elliot? Maybe. If not, welcome. I can't tell with the lights. Um, but imagine Elliot Madison. Um, like, imagine that I was out in public. And I see Elliot sitting at a, at a fancy restaurant, and I see him sitting with a woman, but I can't tell who, and I get closer, and I'm like, wait, that's not Madison. Why is Elliot, like, holding her hand and, like, looking deep into her eyes and, like, giggling? And he's like, huh? oh, you're so cute. Oh, right? That would be weird because Madison wants 100% of Elliot's romantic affection. In the same way that Elliot wants 100%, of Madison's romantic affection. No wife wants, like, like imagine if you asked Madison, like, Hey, Madison, how would you feel about Elliot, like, having to crush on another girl? And she'd be like, ooh, that'd be kind of funny. I'd want to know who it was. No! No wife would ever say that. It's crazy. Why? Because you don't share your husband, and you don't share your wife. And God is always using the analogy where he is the husband, and his church... Us are his bride. And does God want his bride looking at other people, people, right? Other gods or other idols and being like, ooh, I can make a lot of money over there. And that money, it looks like it could satisfy me. God's up in heaven going, no, you belong to me. Why are you looking over there? Not that money's a bad thing, but you're looking at it like it's me. You're looking at this girl like she's God and she's not God. I am, right? The God feels that same level of jealousy that a husband should for his wife because we collectively, the church, are his bride. Martin Luther, you guys know who Martin Luther is? Not Martin Luther King Jr. The original Martin Luther, who was alive in the 1500s, said, um, what's his quote? He said, Um, Martin Luther says that the first of the Ten Commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do I have this on the slide? Yeah. The first commandment is to love God above all else. The other nine tell us how we might not do that. Right? So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you lie, it's because you want people to believe you, to think something about you. So again, you are an idol. If you covet someone else's wife, it's because you see her as an idol. And she will make you happy. And if you got her, you would be happy. So she's an idol. So you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart. See how it all points back to the very first commandment of loving God above all else? Um, What are the other ones? If you steal, it's because this thing you stole, you think you need it more than you need God. Or it'll make you happier than God will. So again, it goes back to adultery. If you murder, it's because your anger is so intense that you need this person dead. Otherwise you won't be happy, you don't trust God to sort out justice in the world. So it all points back to us thinking that we're God, or we know better than God, or something else will satisfy us more than God. So idolatry is actually the root of nearly, or you could probably say, every other sin, thinking that we know better than God. Um, uh, There's this quote, it's kind of long, but I want to read the whole thing because it's um, there's this guy named David Foster Wallace and he's one of the most brilliant thinkers that um, I think has ever lived he killed himself when he was like in his 30s but he was an absolute genius and he gives this message called uh, This Is Water and you should listen to the whole thing it's like 20 minutes, definitely worth it um, he says in the day to day trenches of life there's no such thing as atheism there's no choice But to worship, the only choice we get is what we worship. Pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. And you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. And you will always end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And so on. It's from David Wallace, Who, by the way, was an atheist. And he acknowledged that the human heart is wired to worship. Bob Dylan said the same thing when he said, You gotta serve somebody. You know that song? Um, He said, everybody, yeah, Dennis does Um, Everybody is made to worship The question isn't, will you worship something? The question is, what do you worship? And I don't want you to sit here and think like Oh yeah, Ryan really needs to hear this message Because he has a lot of idols in his life Think about your own heart, examine yourself the point of church isn't so that we can come here and think about other people who need to hear this message. The point of church is so we can come in here and our own hearts will be stirred. And we need to look at ourselves, look in the mirror, and say, shoot, I've got a lot of idols in my life, and I've got to bump those down a few notches so I can really focus on God and put Him on the throne of my heart where He needs to be. Um, why is idolatry so dangerous? In Romans 1, Paul paints this picture. Um, Romans 1 is possibly one of the most intense chapters of the Bible where it talks about like nations rising and falling and turning their backs on God. And um, yeah, God punishes people by turning them over to what they desire. That's what it says in Romans 1, I think 121, you can check. Um, he says that they turn their backs on God, so God gave them over to their sinful desires and their lusts they exchanged uh, natural desires for unnatural ones. Like, isn't that crazy? God would punish you by giving you what you want most. And C.S. Lewis kind of echoes this in his book, uh, The Great Divorce, which is my favorite book of all time, because he talks about hell, and if you're in hell, you get exactly what you want just by imagining it, and you have it, and people just go on and on and on and become more and more isolated, more and more sucked into their own selves, and they can't look at anyone else, they can't enjoy anyone else, they're just giving themselves everything they want, and they end up just like angrier and angrier, and like, it's kind of terrible if you think about it. Your idols will eat you alive. That's what David Foster Wallace was talking about. So, um, two more things, and then a story. What's the wrong way to fight idolatry? What's the right way to fight idolatry? And I want to tell you one final story about someone who I think lived a life um, focused on God, having his priorities in order. Um, our culture tells us a lot of things. Like If you're, if you're an addict, uh, if you struggle with alcoholism, if you struggle with meth addiction, um, whatever it is, our culture will always have a solution, right? And usually those solutions sound really good. Become more productive. Join a CrossFit gym. Get really, really active. Get in the best shape of your life. And you will beat your addiction. But in reality, all that's doing is replacing one idol, which is very unproductive, with another idol, which seems more productive. But in the long run, you're not worshiping God. You're still worshiping this idol that just looks nicer. So be cautious that you don't replace one idol with another one. So then what's the right way to fight idolatry? Oh, wait, I skipped a part. Oh, yeah, sorry. Our culture, this is really, really interesting. There's this book called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And he talks about how um, throughout the Christian history, for like 1,800 years, we had cathedrals. And if you walk into a cathedral, you can do this today. What are you going to see on the walls of the cathedral well spoiler alert you're going to see a lot of paintings of people or they're called icons or saints now the reason that you would see all these people on the walls is because you would grow up hearing stories about people like saint francis or saint ignatius or all these people who are real models of how you should live your life if you went to that cathedral every single sunday um, it's not a bummer we don't have icons painted on the walls here but every Sunday you go you become super familiar with their faces and you grow up thinking I want to grow up and be like Saint Francis and you kind of you kind of form your desires you form like this is the way that I want my life to go. I want to live like Saint Ignatius did or Saint Cecilia or all these like famous saints and you get f- super familiar with them because you see them, on the walls in a cathedral every week. And um, in this book, he talks about how the new cathedrals look like this. Because you go to the mall, and what do you see? You see different types of models offering the life that you could be living, and these lives seem really enticing, don't they? And they want you to believe that if you buy this thing, or you look this way, you buy this super cool suit, or this really nice dress, then you will be happy and you will finally look good enough and people will love you and like you and you will finally arrive. That's kind of the promise of all this advertising. So no longer do we have people that we look at and say, I want to be like that because they laid down their life for the poor. Now it's like, I want to look like that because they look like they're enjoying their life and they're really attractive and they have a lot of friends, whatever it is. We're constantly bombarded with these images which shape and form our desires. And I can tell you right now that the way that the world wants to shape and form you is not the same direction that God wants to shape and form you. Why does the world want to do this? It's really an easy answer. Because if people uh, shape and form you the way they want, they make more money. You buy their clothes. You buy their perfume. You buy the nicer car that they have to offer. Whatever it is, they want you to believe this thing So that your life will look like it's getting better. when in reality, you're just adding more idols to your life. You see how that works? And we fall for it every time. Christians and non-Christians alike. Everybody falls for it. So what do we do? What's the real solution to uproot these idols from our hearts? I think that the most simple solution is one word. And it's worship. If six days a week the world is trying to pull us and pull us and get us to come this way and believe these things and believe that once we look this way or have this thing, then we'll be happy, we go to church or throughout the day, every day. We don't need to just be in church. Every day, we can take time and pause and be like, wait, where am I trying to orient my desires? Who do I really believe will make me happy? Which way do I really want my life to go? And that's the purpose of worship. That's why we sing songs a couple of days, or sorry, we sing a couple songs every time we gather together in church. It's not just so that we can make some happy noises. It's because we're actively trying to unwire our heart while the wiring that's been done the other six days of the week. Does that make sense? Worship reorders our priorities. When we sing these songs about how great God is, and that He's the good Father, and that we're loved by Him, we're reminding ourselves, wait, this is who I really am. This is who God really is. This is why this is important to me. And we sing these things, and we talk about it, and we discuss it, so that we can reprioritize our lives. It's hard to take these two hours when all week long, the rest of the week, you're bombarded by images trying to grow you a different way, Right? Um, there's this guy named, um, Nate Saint and, oh my gosh, what was this friend's name? Jim Elliot. Wow, I couldn't have forgotten that one. Um, Jim Elliot was a missionary in South America, um, uh, back in the, help me out, it was the 70s when Jim Elliott, and Nate Saint were alive? 60s. 60s. Okay. Um, so there were missionaries in the 60s and they were going down to this one tribe, and nobody had ever reached this one tribe in South America before. And uh, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and three of their other friends, there were five of them, the five men and their husbands, there was these ten, this group of ten missionaries. They go in South America, and they're like, how do we reach this tribe of people who have never experienced Jesus before? How do we get Jesus to them? Um, and they are pilots. So what they began doing was they... Flew over the tribe, and they dropped little gifts out with parachutes. Um, they did this like one day, they flew over, dropped little gifts out, go back to their base. The next day, same thing, fly over, drop little gifts down, and fly back. Because they wanted the people to know, we're not here to hurt you. You know, we have an airplane, but it's it's not going to hurt you. We want to love you, Right? Um, So finally, after several weeks of trying to make contact with this tribe, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint um, are like, okay, uh, we're going to make contact. We're going to land the plane um, on the riverbed, and we're going to try to walk to the tribe and make personal contact. So what they were supposed to do was they were supposed to make contact and be back to the plane by 4 p.m. that afternoon. And the women were back at the base waiting on the radio for the radio to call with their husbands to say, okay, we're heading back to the base now. And uh, 4 p.m. came, and 4 p.m. went, and it was 4.30, and then it was 5, and they hadn't heard from their five husbands, and the time kept going until finally they realized that their husbands weren't coming back. And um, Jim Elliott had this quote before he died. He said, (sighs) I can't read the freaking quote without crying. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Everything else that we can try to hold on to, we're going to lose at some point. Our bodies, our relationships, our money, everything that we own, we're going to lose it. But Jamalia said, he is no fool who gives that stuff up to gain something eternal. Because those five men, the five missionaries, were killed by the tribespeople. They They killed with their spears, they found out later. But the crazy thing is the wives, the five wives, went back to that same tribe who had killed their husbands, and they told them about Jesus. And the entire tribe ended up coming to know Jesus because these women were more passionate about reaching out to this tribe who didn't know Jesus than they were.